Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming and joining us on this beautiful Sunday morning here at Ivy Creek. And we are glad that you are here. If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please take them. Turn me once again to the book of Genesis, chapter 32. We're going to look at verses 22 through 32 this morning as we continue our study entitled, The Story That Explains Our Stories. The Story That Explains Our Stories. And today we come to a passage that well, it's quite interesting, and, and, and for many, it's a puzzling, if not um, odd, uh, section of Scripture. This morning, we're going to read and examine the story of Jacob's wrestling match with God. Now, when I was younger, whenever someone mentioned wrestling, the first thought that came to my mind was someone like Ric Flair, the nature boy. I thought of the American dream, Dust the Rose, baby. I always thought of him. I thought of Jimmy Superfly Snooker. And one of my favorites was Mr. Wrestling Number Two. I really don't know what happened to Number One, but Number Two was my favorite growing up. I imagined atomic knee lifts, elbow drops, people coming off the top ring rope. I thought of steel cage matches, and I thought of the figure four leg lock that Ric Flair would always put on someone to put a submission hold on them. It wasn't until I was in, probably in the seventh or eighth grade, though. That's when I had a really good friend that wrestled in high school. He wrestled in middle school and high school. And I decided one day I wanted to go see what this wrestling that he was doing was. And to my shock and to my horror, there was no raised ring with no ring ropes around it. No one was coming out in robes, and they didn't have a manager at the side to try to distract the referee. None of that was happening. No, this was, this was real wrestling where two opponents squared off against one another in a, on a mat and they used strength and they used coordination and they used leverage and speed and balance to, to win the match by either pinning their opponent to the mat or by scoring points throughout the match. And after it was over with, I, I talked to my friend. I said, wow, I didn't realize what that was. And he said, buddy, what you've been watching on TV is wrestling. This is wrestling. <laughs> well, here as we come to our text in Genesis 32, our text doesn't give us much in the way of details about this wrestling match that actually takes place between God and Jacob. But I believe that this was a match that was much closer to what I watched my buddy go through in high school than to what I had seen on TV growing up. The end result of this match was submission. And with God, it always is. That kind of gives us an intro to this text. Let's read it this morning, beginning in Genesis 32, verse 22. We read these words. And he arose that night, that is Jacob, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen the face of God and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. And therefore to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you for loving us like you do. Father, sometimes your love, we understand it very easily. The truth is, sometimes you love us in ways that is difficult for us to understand. I believe our text this morning exposes one of those times. And my guess is there are many in this room that can identify with that. They're experiencing the love and the grace and the mercy of God in ways that may be very difficult for them. My prayer is, is that you will encourage them with this word this morning. You will once again reveal the majesty of who you are, how you love us, and that you will continue to draw us to you, strengthen our relationship with you, help us to understand ourselves more and you even better. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You'll notice that our text begins by telling us that it was night when Jacob crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And in doing that, he led all of his family from one side of the the brook to the other. And no doubt, Jacob hoped that this maneuver would provide some added protection for his family against the looming approach of his brother Esau. You'll remember from our study last week that Esau and 400 of his Men were coming to meet Jacob. And the news of his approach had caused Jacob to become greatly afraid and distressed. And Jacob had remembered Esau's vow to kill him from 20 years before. And and he had remembered how he had treated his brother so shamefully. And now Jacob was concerned not only about his own safety, but he was concerned about the safety of of his wives and his children. So under the cover of darkness at night, he sends them all across the brook. That's how this scene begins. But notice how it ends. Down in in verse 31, we read that the sun rose and that the sun shone down upon Jacob. And here we see a man who looks exhausted and he looks worn down and he looks beat up and limping. And literally he is pulling his leg along as he walked. And it is this picture of Jacob that really forms the context of what I, I perceive to be a very puzzling sentence that we read at the end of verse 29. We read these words, and he blessed him there. In other words, God blessed Jacob in that place. Now the question that I believe, at least for me, leaps off the page is this. Where is the there 
that God blessed Jacob? Where, where is this place of God's blessing? Now, you may say, well, that's easy enough because verse 30 answers it. It says the name of the place was Peniel or Penuel as the next verse tells us. It's an alternate spelling and pronunciation of the same place, meaning the same thing. Jacob tells us what it means. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. That's the name of the place. The name of the place is Peniel. While that's technically true, I believe that this text demands that we dig a little deeper. We want to know more than a name. We want to know what identifies this place of God's blessing. What marks it off? What, what causes it to be a place of blessing for Jacob? And I believe that as we investigate this text and we ask ourselves those questions and we ask the text of these questions, we will come to understand that for many of us, our place of blessing resembles very much the same place that Jacob had come to. So let's back up in the text, back before the sun had risen, back to when it was dark and it was nighttime and Jacob was all alone and back to when what was laying heavy upon him was the looming approach of his brother and it was, his heart was gripped with fear. And that becomes the place that we need to begin because they're the first thing that we notice that this text tells us. The first thing on your outline this morning is this. The there where God blessed Jacob, well, it was a place that was marked by crippling. A place that was marked by crippling. We read in verse 24 that a man wrestled with Jacob. There's, a, there's an interesting play upon the sounds of words in this text that really don't come out from the English language. Jacob is the man's name, and he crosses across the ford of the Jabbok. So Jacob crosses the Jabbok. But then there's this phrase there in verse 24 that a man wrestled with Jacob. With the, a man wrestled with him. In English, that doesn't help us, but in the Hebrew, the word is viabak. And so Jacob crossed the Jabbok, and a man viabaked with him. You can hear that in the Hebrew. And the word abak literally means to wrestle. It, it, it really means to get dirty. It means to get dusty. It means, it means that one gets down in the, in the mud and in the dirt and rolls around. And so what Moses is telling us is that this man, this, this night wrestler, as we will refer to him this morning, came upon Jacob and he overpowered Jacob. And he, he attacked him and he brought him to the ground. And, and I can just imagine this heavy hand suddenly pushing Jacob to the ground. And then a knee comes into his back and just shoves his face down into the mud. Now remember, this is Jacob. This is a man who back according to chapter 29 was so strong that he could go up to the mouth of a well and this huge stone that was there. He was able to single-handedly push that stone away from the mouth of the well. This was Jacob who had worked Laban's flocks for 20 years. This was a man who was not unaccustomed to physical labor and was a strong man. And yet, yet, I, I, I think when this night wrestler came upon him and put his hands on him, Jacob was no match for him. And yet, he struggled with him all night long, wriggling and writhing on the ground, refusing to give up. Back when I was a kid, my dad and I used to wrestle. My dad had one move. He would grab onto me, get me on the ground, and kind of put his weight of his body on top of me, and that was all he did. That was it. 
And the rest of the time, I would struggle and try to figure out a way to get out from get an arm free and get a leg free. And he'd just keep grabbing and gnarling me up a little bit further until I would finally just give, give out of strength and give up. I can sort of see the same sort of thing happening here. I imagine this scene to be familiar. Jacob is doing everything he can to be free of this night wrestler, this man who has come upon him and attacked him from behind. And, and he keeps battling, but he doesn't give up. He continues to battle all night long. He continues panting and sweating and grunting. And it goes on for so long until the first streaks of light come up on the horizon begin to penetrate the dark sky. And the night wrestler, he recognizes that Jacob is not going to give up. So the scriptures tell us that he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, we need to note that someone of that kind of power, someone who could touch Jacob's hip so, so effortlessly and dislocate it, was obviously someone who had much more power and was much stronger than Jacob was. In fact, someone who could do that, well, he could have easily defeated Jacob without ever wrestling with him to begin with. That's one of the puzzling pieces of this story. Why did this man, why did this, why did this night wrestler engage Jacob in this way? What was the purpose of this wrestling match? We'll come back to that question a little later. For now, let's continue the narrative. Notice that after the night wrestler dislocates Jacob's hip and cripples him, Jacob's no longer able to fight back. He's no longer able to leverage his strength. He's no longer able to get up on both of his legs. He, he, he had no balance and no doubt he was in tremendous pain. That's why we learned that the first thing that we must recognize about this place of blessing is that the there where Jacob blessed, or Jacob was blessed, was the place from where he was crippled. What that means is that before God blessed Jacob, he weakened him. In his sermon on this passage, Alistair Begg notes this. He says, the place of blessing for us is so often the place of crippling. He continues to say this. He says, the reason that we know so little of the blessing of God is because we are unprepared to be in the place of crippling. And the reason that is the case is because we live in such a success-oriented society where the measure of a blessed man is by how victorious he is or how popular he is or how wealthy he is or even how healthy he is. But such an interpretation of God's blessing takes a severe hit when you consider that when Jacob comes to this place of blessing, God cripples him. This, of course, is not the only time we see something of this in nature in Scripture. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul describes having a thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what that thorn was, but the pain of it must have been excruciating and so great that the Apostle Paul believed that he could be a better minister of the gospel, that he could be a better version of himself if that thorn were removed from him. And so he approached the Lord on three separate occasions and begged and pleaded for the Lord to remove that thorn from him. But God refused to do it, stating that his strength would be made perfect in Paul's weakness. Paul 
under that recognition, made this declaration in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And then he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What we must come to understand is that just as it was for Jacob, so it was for Paul, and so it will be for many of us. The place of blessing very often begins with the place of brokenness. It's a place that's marked by crippling. It's a place, it's a place where it may be a physical crippling or a physical ailment that we, we struggle with, a disease or something along those lines. But it may also be a place where we experience failure of some sort. It could be in the fracture of a relationship, one that we hold dear to us. The place of crippling can also result in the loss of a loved one. It may come in a place where like the Apostle Paul, we go to the Lord and we beg him for something that we believe we truly need and God says no. What we must understand is that when God brings us to a place of blessing, it will often be a place marked by crippling. And as Kent Hughes has described it, the crippling grace comes from the hand of God. That brings us to the next point that I think this text reveals to us something. You see, the there where God blessed Jacob was not only a place of crippling, but it was a place marked by clinging by clinging. Notice this verbal exchange between the night wrestler and Jacob there in verse 26. He said, let me go for the day breaks. But then Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob's powerful opponent had crippled him. He couldn't fight anymore. He couldn't, he couldn't wrestle with him anymore. All Jacob could do was just hold on tight Kind of like when, when Charlie and I you, we still wrestle sometimes now, when we get to the end, I'll try to leave the room and Charlie's just grabbing onto my leg and he won't let go. I'm not letting you go, Daddy. Jacob's refusing to let this night wrestler go. Why? Why did he hold on to him so tightly? Because he sought the night wrestler's blessing. See, scholars debate as to exactly when Jacob realized that who he was that he was wrestling with. But I have a suspicion that as soon as that, that man touched Jacob, the hip of his socket, and suddenly his leg was out of joint, that Jacob right then recognized that he was not in an equal fight. That he recognized that his opponent was someone so much stronger and even otherworldly, we might say. Which is why Jacob refused to let him go. And in that, I believe, is where we really find the answer to the question that we asked earlier. Why did God wrestle with Jacob to begin with? Well, I believe that he wrestled with Jacob and I believe that he wrestles with us for the same reason. Ian DeGuitt has written this. He said, all Jacob's strength, even his very strength to walk, had to be broken down by God so that Jacob could see that all he could do is cling to God. And seek a blessing from him. Brothers and sisters, you realize this? God cripples us so that we will cling to him. Again, to quote Alistair Begg, he says, the reason that some of us remain unblessed and unfilled 
is because we do not cling to God, nor do we cling to his word. He goes on to say, from our actions, we actually proclaim that we do not care whether God blesses us or not. And his point is just simply this. Unlike Jacob, many of us, well, there's no desperation in our clinging to God. Because so many of us are content with our lives just the way that they are. Jacob, on the other hand, had a desperate determination to gain God's blessing. He had grappled and he had writhed around in the mud and in the dirt all night and now he was crippled and he was no longer able to fight. And he knew that if he were only way he was ever going to make it out of that place alive would be because the one who had been stronger than him would bless him. Jacob was not simply just trying to add a little of God's blessing to his already satisfactory and contented life. No, Jacob was desperate for the blessing of God. And in his desperation, he clung to him, refusing to let him go. I wonder, I wonder if you realize that what you and I need more than anything else in our life and in the life to come is the blessing of God. The blessing of God's salvation through Christ, yes. But also to know the blessing of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, conforming us to the image of Christ, working through the power of his holy word to, to bring about transformation and maturity. I wonder if we know about the blessing that comes with Christian fellowship with other believers who not only encourage us, but whom we are able to encourage. Brothers and sisters, these are not extra blessings. These are essential and necessary blessings. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. You've never seen someone who is truly hungry approach their they're looking for food with a nonchalant attitude. Someone who is truly thirsty for something and they're thirsting for water does not approach their, their search for water with, with a nonchalant attitude. Consequently, we must conclude that the reason that so many of us do not enjoy the blessings that God has to give us is because those blessings are treated with such casual and flippant responses and attitudes. So there is the, the place of God's blessing is marked by crippling and it is also marked by clinging. But notice also that it is a place marked by confession. See, in response to Jacob's request for blessing, the night wrestler asked him in verse 27, what is your name? And on the surface, that's a puzzling question too, isn't it? I mean, does, is it possible that God wouldn't know who it was that he was wrestling with? Absolutely not. But there's irony in this question. Do you remember the last time that Jacob was asked who he was? He was in his blind father's tent, draped with goat skins and, and the robe of his brother Esau. And his blind father asked him, who are you, my son? And he said, I am Esau, your firstborn. Here, Jacob is asked to give his name again. Not because the night wrestler doesn't know who he is, but because he wants Jacob to own who he is. 
Kent Hughes points out that in the, in the context of Scripture, to disclose your name was often an act of self-disclosure. It was a revelation of your character. It was a revelation of your deepest identity. So here Jacob is. He is muddy and he is sweaty and he is panting and he is in pain. And he is asked this question, what is your name? And Jacob has to answer, my name is Jacob. My name is Jacob. Jacob's name literally meant heel grabber. That's what he had done when he was being born. He had grabbed onto the heel of his brother when he was born. But here you'll notice he's still grabbing, he's still clinging, but he's clinging to a different one now. But Jacob's name came on to mean something else besides just heel grabber. It expanded because of his, the way he approached his living. If you'll recall in chapter 27, verse 36, right after Esau had been cheated out of his blessing by Jacob, Esau uttered these words, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted. He has taken away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. You see, Jacob's name went on to mean supplanter, deceiver, one who would take what was not his. And here in the mud of the ford of Jabbok, this crippled, clinging man had to own up to who he was, and he said, my name is Jacob. Gene Getz surmises that at this point the fight was over. That Jacob let go, limped to the ground he fell. That the physical battle was over, but not just the physical battle, but the spiritual battle was too. Jacob had been forced to own up to who he was, that he was a self-centered, self-driven, self-sufficient man who was used to making his own way in life and willing to deceive anyone he needed to to get his way. When I was reading this, I was reminded of the story of the prodigal son. You remember him? He got all of his inheritance from his father and all the money he could get. And he went out, spent it all on riotous living, the Bible says. And he ended up herding pigs. And in a pig sty, he found himself covered with all the mud and everything else that one would find in a pig sty. And he was hungry. The Bible says that he would have fed himself the pods that the pigs would have eaten. But nobody gave him any. He was there covered in all of that filth. And hungry to his very bones and starving that the Bible, Jesus says, he says he came to the end of himself. He was forced to see himself for what he had been. He was forced to own who he had been and the things that he had done. And Jesus says that the son determined to go back to his father and to say to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, this son had come to the place of confession. King David came to the same place when Nathan came and pointed his bony finger in his face and said, you are the man. And David suddenly began to realize, I am the man who committed adultery with Bathsheba and caused her husband Uriah the Hittite to be killed. And David sat there at that point and then began to write the words of the 51st Psalm. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving 
according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And later in that same psalm, David says this, For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. That, that is the place of confession. And God's blessings come there at the place of crippling, yes, at the place of clinging, yes, but also at the place of confession. But note with me the fourth one on your outline there this morning. It is also the place of change. You see in verse 28, the night wrestler said to Jacob, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. What must be noted as Kent Hughes writes, is that Jacob's confession evoked amazing, transforming grace because instead of merely blessing him, his assailant changed Jacob's name, announcing his new character. The name Israel literally means God fights or God strives. And that is certainly true because this night wrestler was none other than God himself, or as many has even said, a pre-incarnate, Version of uh, a manifestation of Jesus Christ. And as we noted earlier, Jacob himself acknowledged that his opponent was, was God because of the name that he gave the place, Peniel. But the prophet Hosea later in Hosea chapter 12 verse 3 acknowledges as well that Jacob in his strength struggled with God. So the name Israel was important because it tells us clearly that God strove with Jacob and ultimately prevailed over him by crippling him. But Jacob's name being changed to Israel also puts emphasis on Jacob's fight with God. You see, Jacob had striven with God all night long and, and would not let God go. And in that sense, though Jacob had not defeated God, he had prevailed in securing the blessing of God. But we ought to ask, what was the sense of his blessing? Well, his prevailing came paradoxically in the fact that Jacob was forced into submission. You see, he was, he was weakened and crippled by God. He was reduced, as it were, to a, to a beggar who was grasping and clinging for help. And in that moment, Jacob was forced to face all that he had been and he was forced to submit to the will of God. Hughes describes this paradoxical situation this way. He says, the day of failure through power was over and the day of success through weakness had begun. Jacob had fought in his weakness and he had prevailed. And interestingly, in verse 29, Jacob asked the night wrestler for his name. And it's as if God says, why are you asking me about my name? Some scholars suggest that even here, 
Jacob is still struggling with who it is and who it was that he had actually been wrestling with. And he's trying to get his mind wrapped around all of it. Whatever the case may be, he gets no answer to that question. Instead, what he receives is that for which he had clung to him and asked for. It says there in verse 29 again, and he that is God blessed him, that is Jacob, there. And that brings us back to where we started. Because this mysterious night wrestler moves on in the misty fog of that early morning, he disappears. And the sun comes up over the horizon and begins to shine down on Jacob and we see him limping and dragging his leg as he moves along. And what that tells us is that this whole experience had not been a dream. It was a real place of crippling. It was a real place of clinging. It was a real place of confession and it was a real place of change and the change was not simply in Jacob's name that had once been Jacob but was now Israel but it was a real change physically he was changed because he no longer walked like he walked before he now walked with a limp and he would keep that limp for the rest of his life and it would be a reminder not only to him but to the nation of Israel whose name had would always be identified with Jacob According to verse 32, a dietary restriction was placed upon the children of Israel that they would not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke notes that such a restriction served as a reminder that when Jacob became weak in his struggle with God, Israel the victor emerged. He goes on to say this, the limp is the posture of of the saint, walking not in physical strength, but in spiritual strength. That is the nature of Jacob's victory. It was a crippling victory. And I can't help but wonder if for the rest of his life as he limped along, if there were people that would see him and say, oh, there goes Jacob. Man, isn't it a shame about his leg and his limp? Such a good guy. Such a shame about his limp. Maybe that did happen, but you know what the rest of the world saw as shame? God had used as a blessing. One writer put it this way. He says, my limp is not there to remind me of my struggle and sorrow. Rather, it is there to remind me of a place of surrender, a place where God met me and blessed me through brokenness, a place of breakthrough into a deeper, more genuine relationship with God himself. And that's what leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. God will bring us to the end of ourselves so that he can bless us and change us as we cling to him in humility and in repentance. I wonder if there are not some of you in this room that God is bringing you to your own place of Peniel, to your own place of blessing, but he is bringing you there by bringing you to the end of yourself. Perhaps it is that God has striven with you and he has pinned you down and even crippled you so that you would finally come to understand you, will, you can only cling to him and to him alone. Perhaps it is that God has brought you to a place of confession, to a place of humility where you will acknowledge and face up to who you have been and to all that you have done. 
If so, then I want you to know God's brought you to a place of repentance. You see, to repent means to turn from the, the life that you've lived, turn from, turn from the, the trek that you have been on and to, to change directions and go the other way. And what you ought to know is that confession requires repentance. You see, so long as you continue to do and to struggle and to, to fight against God in your own strength, you will only end up further and further defeated. As believers, we, we constantly speak about our victory coming through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave. Our message is that he has come to bring us life and that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But I want you to know with that victory and with that hope comes the reality that God will bring you to the end of yourself and he will cripple you if necessary in order to bless you and in order to save you and to change you into the person that he desires for you to be as you cling tightly and solely to him. When we come to the New Testament and we see Jesus Christ stretched out on the cross, we look at him and we see what from our eyes would be the weakest moment ever. And yet it is through that weakness, through that submission to God, to his heavenly Father, that all of us, if we come to him in our humble submission, gain strength. To be blessed, brothers and sisters, is not to live free of struggle. Rather, it is to cling to Christ in the midst of our struggle. The question simply is this, will you do that today? I pray that you will. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. It is for the people of God. Let's pray together.